Welcome back to another episode of the Carter Cast. Today, we have a very special interview with the new VP of 247 Sports and NBA draft expert, Adam Stanko. This was a ton of fun with Adam. We get into everything about the NBA draft, and we also get into his career and how he ended up at 247. Who should go number one in this draft? Is the G League Ignite the best route for these guys? Who should our sweet, sweet Hornets draft? And a ton more. But before we get into our interview with Adam Stanko, we are brought to you by Pod Talk. Pod Talk is the best way to listen to podcasts. It has the best interface compared to all other podcast listening apps out there. I use Pod Talk myself. Go join the CarterCast group discussion in Pod Talk right now. Go download Pod Talk in the App Store today. Now our interview with Adam Stanko. He's the new VP of 247 Sports. Adam Stanko. Adam, how are you? Great. I'm great. I'm excited to be doing this podcast with you guys. I appreciate you coming on. So let's start this off. How'd you end up as the VP of 247? (laughs) (laughs) I guess there's a long version and and, and probably a longer version of that. Um, I don't, you know, I'm still, I'm still asking myself that question. I think, uh, you know, uh, my family and certainly my friends are too. I could, I could tell you that much. Um, You know, I I spent the last, you know, I, I, I bounced around for my career, started out as a local news reporter in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, got a job shortly after that with a high school sports show in, in Philly. That was always something I was extremely interested in, the recruiting game, all that. This is early 2000s, so guys like uh, LeBron I was covering a lot for uh, Carmelo Anthony. Um, you know, on the football side, they called him Vincent Young, not Vince Young at the time. But so that's I, I was working on that show, loved it. It was amazing. Show ended for a while. I was selling high school tapes then to uh, college and NBA teams because no one was really doing that then. There's no YouTube or you know social media outlets where people could see video of these guys. So we'd be going all over and shooting tapes of guys and and selling them. Um, you know, it was just sort of keep me on my feet. Eventually, was taking some odd jobs and and uh, got a producer job in Philly for a show that actually aired in Northern California. Um, from there, I went to ESPN for seven years. And uh, and then left to go to the Pac-12 Network here in the Bay Area, which is where I still am, just about to leave. And uh, coordinated producer now, Pac-12. And actually, the crazy part was for the last year at the Pac-12, they had laid off my, my colleagues. So everybody that worked underneath me, all the producers, associated producers, PAs, uh, all got laid off. And so did my boss. And they basically told me, like, hey, go figure it out. Uh, you're the only one. So I'm the last, was the last standing full-time employee at the Pac-12 network for the, on the studio production side. Um, and uh, we had a bunch of freelancers, super talented people. Pac-12 has gotten a bad rap the last few years, but, but some of it earned, but, but for a large part, it's been, been a great place to work. And then, yeah, I, um, I don't know. It was, it was crazy. Uh, I talked to CBS about, about another job, discussed it with them. It didn't work out. And then a few months later, they said, Hey, there's this position here. We want to start a network and we, we need somebody to run it. Um, would you be interested? And that sort of started the ball rolling, officially applied, and then had 15 interviews, uh, wow. which was crazy. I never dealt with anything like that. Crazy three-week stretch, I can tell you that much, because I'm also very, very, you know, just like the draft research and all that kind of stuff. I can, If I'm focused on something and interested, and this doesn't apply to everything, if you go back and look at my high school grades, but but when I do focus <laughs> and get interested, I will do a deep dive and really try to um, – 
and dominate the process as much as I can. So I really did a lot of research on the people I'd be interviewing with and, and the company. And it's so nuanced and they do so much. And I was a fan from afar, just so the opportunity, I did not want to let it slip. I want to do everything I possibly could to, can, you know, at my part of the process. And so I, I just, I feel very lucky and, and fortunate that it worked out. And I still am kind of, kind of shocked that I'm in the position I'm in, but now the whole family's moving to Nashville. That's exciting. Uh, first of all, congratulations on the Thank new you. position. But second of all, I wanted to ask if you had to choose one or two people like throughout your entire career path that made a huge impact on you or helped you get where you are today. Is there anybody that comes to the top of your head that you want to give a shout out to? Oh, man. I, well, I really appreciate that, that, that you asking me that. It's, it, it's funny because I think if anyone knows me and they heard you ask that question, they would just start laughing because like even my goodbye letter for Pac-12, um, I ended up listing like 40 people. So I'm, I'm certainly not going to do that because I always feel bad about, about not including people. And also, and really so many people did play a part, but I will say, I mean, one person that I always think about on the career side, you know, I was this guy by the name of Don Kimberly. He, he's, he, he passed away a few years ago, but he was, he was unbelievable. He, he was a producer on this high school sports show. And what was wild was, so I, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, Westchester, PA, and um, when I was in college in New York, Ithaca College in New York, um, I got this internship. There was this small at the time. They don't have it really anymore, but there were the, is a local cable news company. Now, like they're all dominated by everybody has Comcast or Dish or what have you. But there were these uh, it was like a mom pop shop. Like and so it's hair and cable in Pennsylvania. It was wild competing with Comcast and Comcast ended up taking over. But it's weird. People would think about it as hair and cable if, if they had been the one that that took over. But because they had this um, local cable company, they um, they decided they wanted to put some of their own programming on the air. And they had this local news magazine show and just asked local people to contribute. And like they didn't know what they were doing. I mean, there was like some 22 year old woman who sort of was running the thing and everything. And I walked in there one day and just asked if I could contribute. Yeah. And so I spent a summer with them putting together you know, stories. And they allowed me to just go out, learn. I think a couple, I spent a couple of years there actually doing it a couple summers, but, but it was wild. It was the best experience ever. They just sort of let me go with a camera and, uh, and a camera guy and, a, and an editor and, and just sort of learn the ropes. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was trying to have some fun and I learned a lot along the way, but I don't know, this guy, Don saw something in me because he was working on this local high school sports show that we had in Philly. And he would take stories he was working on and he would put them on this local news magazine show also. And so he just loved the craft of it, loved to be involved. So we never even met or crossed paths, but I saw what he was doing. And, and at the time, like the local athletes, I mean, like Kobe Bryant was, was huge. So he's putting a lot of Kobe stories on there and everything. It was really cool. So anyway, a lot of the footage you see now from Kobe's high school days, that's where it all came from. And everything was this high school sports show. So what happened was, when um anyway it's a long way of saying like i go to topeka i get this job i'm working for this awful boss and they're treating me like garbage and i, I didn't i'm learning a ton though like just about the business and how to write for tv and do all these things really talented people in topeka uh it was amazing but the boss that i had was terrible and then all of a sudden my buddy like reaches out one day and was like hey i was talking to don here and uh he was wondering if you'd be interested in like coming back to philly so i'm in topeka and he's like He's wondering if you'd come back to Philly, work on this high school sports show that they're about to take national and host and produce it. And I'm like, what are you? Doing? This is amazing. I'm making seven sixty nine an hour as a news reporter, one man band lugging my, my uh, stuff. 
And I was like, uh, yes, I'll, I'll crawl back there. Um, so my, uh, my boss at the time cussed me out and uh, literally like went into a room, told him I was leaving. He, he screamed at me and cursed at me, all these things. And said okay um you know that solidified your decision a little bit yeah, i mean oh there was there was never even a question and i couldn't get there quick enough he actually told everybody that he was going to call my future employer and and say a bunch which that freaked me out but of course nothing nothing happened but uh wow. but yeah so don and then just working with him i mean he was in his 60s and i was in my early 20s and he was just this great mentor and for no reason like he just he saw something in me so that alone was amazing but but then just working alongside him and just the kind of person he was and the character he had. And he always like was looking out for me. And I just, I always thought that was just amazing to me um, and, and meant so much. And man, I, there have been so many other people. Um, but, uh, you know, there another guy who um, I would also point out is uh, a good friend of mine uh, named Ron Burke, who when I was in Philly uh, working on a show producing there, he just taught me how to be a pro. He, he was, um, he was an anchor for Comcast Sportsnet in Philly at the time and was like a legendary anchor and he'd done stuff in Philly area. And he was again, a bit older than me, but, um, he just was such a pro just excellent at what he did and, and just how he approached the job and like, and just taught me like that. Hey, it's not, you don't come here to play around, like have fun. He, he always came with a smile. He had the best attitude, no matter what the situation. And I sort of try to pattern that. But also he said, hey, you know, it's it, if you treat it like it's a playground and just joke around, like not joke around, but if you don't take the craft seriously, then it's you're never going to do anything with it and people aren't going to respect you. And I always appreciated that approach and we, we became really close friends and he was a great mentor. So, yeah, and he's, he's now doing news and sports in, uh, in New Mexico, uh, just sort of wanted to change in, in his life. But he's. He's been awesome. So I, I appreciate you asking that. And there've been so many others through the years I'd mentioned, and, you know, of course, personally and all that kind of stuff, my dad's my, my idol, but um, you know, my parents have been amazing, my wife, but, but I would say in general, like those two people professionally, I think have been huge. So thank you for asking that. Yeah, no problem. All right. Let's start the NBA draft talk. There you go. Who's going one. And do you believe they should go one? Uh, I mean, Kay Cunningham's going first overall. And so I, I've said this. I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if Detroit decided to to deal the pick, right? Mm -hmm. That could happen. Uh, Cade's going to go first just because his his value. So you always look at the value at number one and and how people are, are appreciated. And so, again, if if Detroit's in a position where they don't feel like Cade's the guy, maybe they are. We I don't know that for sure. But the consensus is that Cade's the guy. Um, and so because of that, like you, you could theoretically have a situation where we saw with Philly and Boston a few years ago, where it picked, they trade down a couple picks. If there's someone else that they absolutely love, or they feel like a few of the tier one guys, let's say are on equal footing, then I could see that happening. Try to get some more assets for, for the number one pick. But, you know, you think about what Detroit has already with Sadiq Bay getting a chance to, you know, uh, play for, you know, Team USA just got the call of him. He's been unbelievable. Uh, Isaiah Stewart, like they, they they already have this this young core, Killian Hayes, that's that's in place. They're already drafting well. Troy Weaver's doing a nice job there. And of course, you know, Grant too. Um, they, they have young pieces and and uh, a lot of potential and now having a, a lead guard. And I, I, I say this about Cade, the, the thing for me that puts him on another plane is I think he has this one rare trait that never gets discussed. And that's the idea that he controls the pace of the game. And I think that it's a, it's, you don't, you just don't see that in prospects very often and in just players in general. I mean, I, I mean, Chris Paul, yeah. you know, when Chris Paul is in the game, you see the difference, the, the Suns, how they play. 
Um, Harden's kind of like that. Um, it's just the guys that obviously LeBron, but just guys that all of a sudden the game just slows down and then they just decide the pace that they're going to play. And I think that that ability to control the game in that poise, I don't want to say it's innate, but it's awfully tough to, to teach and coach. And it's not really even something you develop once you get to the league, like you already sort of have it growing up. You know, Mm -hmm. people talk about being a pure point guard or something or a great shooter. Like the, even those things, I think, in some, on some level, like can be adjusted. But but somebody who would, the, I mean, Luca is obviously a prime example of that. Guys that just sort of say, hey, "We're going to settle things down right now. I'm just going to control the pace." That it, you just don't see that, and so that's why I put Kate on that on that top top tier above all the other prospects in this draft. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the other prospects, uh, about every mock draft I've seen or everybody I've talked to thinks Jalen Green's going right after that. Mm-hmm. What do you think the comparison between them is? Who do you think will have the better career or who's the better pick in your opinion? Oh, I think I, I I'm, I'm not as high on Jalen green as, as others are. I, I mean, obviously he's, you know, a prototype wing and really has a lot of ability to score at the next level. We know that he's proven himself G league night. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of reasons to be excited about Jalen green for sure. I just, I, I would call him, you know, a fringe tier one prospect if it's me. And by tier one, I refer to, and I, you know, I've told Chad for this, he's the one that introduced me to this idea that like NBA teams have been doing for a long time, but, but instead of sort of saying like, who would you take this guy or this guy? It's almost like we put him into tiers and then you could start to get into the game of like who fits the mold better. But you talk about tier ones, you're talking about multi-time all-star um, potential all of fame type guy, like franchise changing difference makers. Um, and I, you know, obviously Jalen Green, what he did at the high school level, and then of course going off to do what he did with with the Ignite team, I mean, has been extremely impressive. And and uh, his athletic ability is great. You hear about the work ethic. Um, I, I've talked to some people who sort of feel the same way I do, where they don't know that he's definitely a superstar. Like I, I have no questions about Kate Cunningham being a star at the next level. And you know, we could always be wrong. I also feel that way about Jalen Suggs. And we could discuss Evan Mobley too, but but the idea for me is that I don't know that I put Jalen Green there. Now, if he if if he reaches his potential or even close to what his potential is, we're talking about a dynamic scorer at the next level, a guy that's scoring 20, 25 points a game, um, a guy that can shoot from the outside, that is, you know, um, the, you know, is really your um the primary guy in your offense and and then defensively gets after it too. So you know, I think he does have great potential. So I don't want to say that, you know, I don't, I think he's going to be a bust or anything like that. I'm not trying to say that. I just, to me, I actually don't have him on Cade's level and I don't even have him on Jalen Suggs's level. Now, I don't think the Rockets feel the same way. Um, they apparently are pretty high on him. And I think there's still a choice to be made between him and Evan Mobley. Um, and I think Jalen Green has some more buzz about him just as a prospect and sort of for where the franchise is going, where they want to go. And it'll be interesting because now, you know, you, you have a better idea when you know who is running a front office for a period of time, it gives you a better sense of like, OK, I think I have an idea of who these guys like or who they would go with in this situation. It's tough to say, you know, with Houston's new front office, like we just don't know uh, where they're at. And so even in terms of like the information that, that comes out of that, what benefits them, what doesn't. So it could be that, you know, everyone's been talking about Jalen Green. He's presumptive favorite to go in that in that two spot and and maybe that's just what ends up happening but it could also go the flip side and we could be surprised and it it could be someone else there if Jalen Green goes to college do you think he's more likely to be a number one pick 
Um, you, it's it's such a great question. I think in some in some ways, I think yeah, more. I think he is more likely. I think it's weird because I think you can answer the question and say I think he's more likely, but I also mm-hmm. think it benefits him to go to the ignite. I mean, the thing is, like, if prospects are smart, and a lot of these guys really gotten to speak to them or or you know talk to the guys who work them out or what have you, and 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 really if prospects are smart about the process and usually that's the more mature, older guys, they understand it. They should go want to go to a place that they're going to succeed at the next level, not just get drafted the highest. And that's, and that it's a huge distinction. And I think that, you know, even a lot of fans like don't say that and they sit there and go, Oh, well, it's better for this guy. Well, every situation determines there's, there's other factors that are going to determine your success. You know, the, the other guys, you know, what does the position look like? Uh, you would see your depth chart essentially look like there. Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to get the ball early in your career? Are you going to play a lot early in your career? Do, does the coaching staff believe in you? Does the front office believe in you? Um, you know, do you have people that are championing in your cause? Like all those things factor into your success. So, so that being said, like, yeah, I mean, Jalen Green's exposure to the average fan would have been greater, obviously. I, I think there's no question. I mean, people knew about how great he was coming out of high school. And so if he goes to college and now all of a sudden is exploding on the national stage, has a great tournament run, but even before that, you know, um, just really just has major success in nationally televised games. I mean, that's the selling point. It has been for a long time for guys to play in college because you get free marketing. Mm-hmm. And now you've got name, image, likeness stuff where not only, you know, is the marketing benefiting, you know, you as a prospect, it's also going to benefit you financially. But I think that in general, I think you bring up a great, great point. If Jalen Green goes to college, we're going to see his profile raise and all those things. We would have seen him maybe competing in number one on mock drafts and all those things. But I also think there's something about Cade that's just like I said, for me personally, is, is just special. And plus, now we're talking about Jalen Green goes to Ignite. He's now number two maybe on mock drafts and obviously it looks like at least he'll go top three top four so let's just say he does go to college what if you know he has a he's also going to get scrutinized more than he Mm -hmm. you know by the public obviously scouts are watching every second of his tape with the ignite but you know limited amount of games to check out but if he goes to college the reverse could also be true he could have gone through a stretch where he struggled or what have you and and now guys start to question or he plays in other high profile games or he's playing against other prospects and you know, has a couple of bad performances and that could have also the reverse could have been true. So, uh, yeah, it's possible. And I think, in fact, in some ways, maybe, yeah, because of his talent probably does compete for number one. But um, for me personally, I don't think it would have changed my opinion that that Cade's a top prospect. I remember watching those G League Ignite games I was like, whoa, 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 wait, Jarrett Jack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the first that's the first reaction you have. Right. You're like, this guy's like, but think about the but think about what that does for you, that you spend a year playing alongside a guy like Jared Jack and and his experience and all the things he's going to teach you. So, you know, the other thing, a lot of these guys, too, um, you know, my my uh, I've talked about this a bit, but, you know, I'm close friends. I got, I'm lucky enough to become close friends with Don McLean, who I mean, you guys may not even remember, but he played 10 years in the league, was most improved player his second year. Um, play with the Washington Bullets, play with the Sonics and Nuggets and Sixers. Um, but uh, Don's UCLA's all-time leading scorer, 2,608 points. He, he is Pac-12's all-time leading scorer. And he's now the top workout guy in the country. I mean, he and, and, and he doesn't do it as his full-time gig. He's an analyst with the Clippers and Pac-12 Network and such. But over the summer, uh, well, as soon as the college season ends, 
CAA sends their prospects to him to improve improve their standing among teams when they go and get ready for team workouts, right? So that's 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 Don's job. Hey, you got the next six weeks and work with these guys. And he's worked with everybody. And I've gone to the gym and seen all these guys. Um, Donovan Mitchell, John Collins, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns, like the list just goes on and on and on. And, um, and uh, you know, Don uh, works these guys out. And it's, it's incredible the development that they can, the jump that they can make and the leap that they can make. But one thing that Don says all the time, we discuss it more, but the one thing that Don says all the time about, about these guys is it's, he's a lot of times just getting them ready. Once they reach a certain point, he's getting them ready for summer league because really guys get drafted. And then it's like, you know, the general public forgets about, they don't even remember where a guy was drafted, who he was drafted to. Now it's about, okay, what kind of impact can you make and how quickly can you make it? Because that's going to determine the fate of your career. And especially for these kids who, for the most part, you know, all the one and done's are 19 years old. So, you know, for these guys, it's so important to make an impact. And then you, the clock's ticking. You got three years for the team to figure out if they're going to keep you around. And if you don't make an impact early on, you know, at 19 years old, it's tough, you know, to start making an impact, which would have been your sophomore, junior, senior year in college, you know, um, Trey Young be a senior in college, you know, it's like, it's nuts yeah. to, you know, think about yeah. that. Like, um, so anyway, um, yeah, I do think that like, it's interesting that you mentioned Jared Jack, cause I think playing alongside a guy like that and getting that experience and talking to those guys about, you know, talking to Kaminga and him about, you know, this is what you need to know, you know, this is how you defend guys. This is how you look at a scouting report and then make your own determinations. Those kinds of things I think plays a big role moving forward. So we talked about Jalen Green and the G League night and Jonathan Kaminga now, do you think that becomes more popular, those alternative routes instead of the NCAA, such as, you know, the G League or the NBL or another professional league? I, you know, it's been the question that's swirled around forever, and we've thought so, you know, as guys of you know, Brandon Jennings goes and plays overseas, Jeremy Tyler leaves San Diego High School and goes after his junior year and mm-hmm. goes overseas. And it's always like, oh, this is going to start, you know, the mass exodus, right? And then you see LaMelo Ball go and, and, and play overseas. And then now with, with the guys going, obviously – um you playing with the ignite i think the one thing is I, I well two things have had to change over the last few years in order for that to happen is that is that one the nba was going to have to do something about their farm system you know mm-hmm. unlike major league baseball which has this great setup in terms of looking out for the kids themselves right you get drafted mm-hmm. out of high school and then you all right you're in college for three years you make that commitment then you can draft it again after your junior year draft it again your senior year but they have these expansive programs in place for the minor leagues i mean obviously it's it's crazy but the nba has never really invested in their in their g league now they're starting to so that's changing so yes you can make that argument but on the flip side um you're also seeing this uh name image likeness which could completely change the game i mean that that you know olympic model for uh, how guys can can earn a living in college is i think going to change the game completely. And at the end of the day, the NBA doesn't want to invest more money in the G league. Now they know it's beneficial to them, but um, if college is doing its part again, think about the, again, we talked about like the idea that the national TV exposure and that we learn about guys that aren't even NBA prospects. So think about the guy, you know, what it did for Zion Williamson, Um, even John Moran playing at Murray state, like the, the idea of his exposure and stuff. And not that those guys didn't earn it. I'm just saying in general terms, like, Hey, I, I was on, I've been on this radio show. I, this guy has me on every few weeks. And uh, every time he has me on, he's like, ah, 
Trey Young, he's like, I mean, he's a guy who played four years in college every time he says it. <laughs> and it's like, I know that was the impact because he led the country at scoring and assists, but he only played one year at, at Oklahoma. It's easy to, to, to think that he played longer. But I think college basketball is so good at marketing these guys and, and all that, that I think in one way, if, if we didn't see NIL pop like it did and, and everything change overnight in a way, I mean, obviously it didn't, it took a long time, but if we didn't see that change, then I would say absolutely. And I, I think also we would see, you know, these, um, these guys, uh, you know, get talked about this year. I think in the future, all of a sudden, those guys playing higher profile games. I mean, it's right around the corner from me here at Walnut Creek, um, the Ignite team. It's on the East Bay. I'm, I'm North Bay. But like, but I, but I do think it would have, um, I think it would have been a much bigger deal, but, but I think because the NIL now again, college basketball has a, has a leg up. So yeah, I think prospects are going to do it and you're seeing overtime elite and guys getting paid out of high school. So definitely alternate routes, I think are going to be to answer your question. I mean, yes, we're going to see more guys take alternate routes, whether it's overseas, whether it's in startup leagues, whether it's with the G league, but I think also, um, I don't think it's going to be as crazy as it once was. Cause I think a lot of these guys are going to go, Oh, I can go to Duke or Carolina or um, Kentucky for a year. And then, you know, my profile's great. I still am going to make some money, be financially sound. So maybe I'm okay. And also these guys getting paid out of high school. And then you can sort of say they're not losing eligibility at the college level. So that's another role that it'll play. But I mean, I think it's a great, great question though. Players were definitely not getting paid during college ever <laughs> <laughs> no it's never happened it's never happened at all but uh, i love jalen suggs uh where's the best fit for him i love jalen suggs too um you know i'd say i mean honestly for me it's anywhere like i, I absolutely love this kid i want to see him have the ball in his hands from from day one i think um any team that drafts him would be would be smart enough to do that uh i'm, I'm with you i mean there's a few things that stand out i mean he's extremely competitive um he's obviously a terrific athlete he's strong uh i love his poise um and he has a couple of things that if you notice on tape that i think just jump out at you. so first of all like when he gets the ball on the wing for instance he doesn't even look to see what like he doesn't care about his primary defender he's looking for where the help's coming from and if you don't have help on the block or even quick enough coming from the weak side like he just attacks the rim right away and he's going to either score on a pull-up a floater or just get to the hole. And I think that is huge. That's next level scoring ability that like elite scorers have and, and has sort of have that understanding. He doesn't even, he just dismisses the guy that's guarding him and all great scorers sort of have that uh, ability. Obviously you can score at all three levels. He shoots it better than I think he gets credit for. Um, but then obviously the vision is awesome. And that's what, what I also love. I mean, not only is he a standout athlete and just a phenomenal prospect in that regard, but like, his vision is crazy. And then, you know, the play that, that I, I think will always stand out. I mean, I think stock oftentimes gets put too heavily onto, you know, what happens in the NCAA tournament. But I think for people that saw, you know, less than two minutes left against UCLA, when he throws that, I mean, that, he has the block first through the middle. And then he throws that like three quarter court bounce pass one handed, um, you know, like that's bananas, like to throw it in that situation is nuts um, to even think that you, you could do that. But the thing is, because of his high school quarterback background, it's like he understands the value of taking care of the ball. You don't turn the ball over when you're a quarterback. You know, you, you get crushed for turning it over three times in a game. Meanwhile, you know, as a point guard, you can get away with that. And so, you know, you, you have nine assists, three turnovers, three to one assist to turnover ratio. You're getting praised for that. But meanwhile, you know, 
and so I think the kid has a great understanding of that, like how to take care of the basketball. And so to me, you're talking about like classic lead guard and, and just like all great players. And I think he will be, I think you're talking about an elite prospect. I think he's gonna be a eight, 10 time all-star. Like I expect that from him. And when you have a guy like that, um, I, I think that you have to, to, to snatch him. And so that's what, I mean, to me, Kate Cunningham and, and Jalen Suggs are my two favorite prospects in this draft. And I, I think the world of him and I think you give him the ball right away and you say, all right, we're going to build around him. And just like all great prospects, I was going to say, there's almost like no great comparison. Like there are guys that you can say he reminds you of, but that's, it's like, you know, I've heard, you know, you hear Jason Kidd or, or, um, you know, uh, Russell Westbrook and these other comparisons, but like nothing feels right because mm -hmm. he's unique. And I, I, I sort of love that about him too. Yeah. He kind of has the, Oh, sorry. You go ahead. Got it. Well, I was so, going to say, we've talked about, <laughs> we've talked about the, uh, like some of the top prospects so far this year. And I've heard a lot of people say that this year's draft is a lot stronger than let's say last year's. Mm. What are your opinions on that? Is it a deeper draft position wise, like compared to last year's draft? What do you kind of, what do you kind of feel? Um, it's interesting because people always bring that up. The idea, like you hear every year, it's seemingly like, oh, it's a weak draft, sweet draft. It's a weak draft. I think part of it like also comes from the general public of like them not knowing the prospects as well. So I think that's, that's a big deal in a weird way. You know, you had such a unique situation this year, um, especially that the top guys that we mentioned, because like, you know, Jalen Green was thought of as like the guy coming out of high school, like everyone sort of had him as the guy. And then all of a sudden it was, um, you know, he goes to the Ignite team. So that got a lot of buzz. And then um, Jalen Suggs became the guy on the college level and has obviously, you know, Gonzaga goes undefeated throughout the, you know, most of the year. And then, and then has the great, you know, tournament run. And, and so there his profile gets raised there and, and Cade, obviously, with Oklahoma State, wasn't even going to play in the tournament and all these things. And he still decides to go to Oklahoma State. So it's almost like these narratives were forming and all this kind of stuff. But that all that being said, like, um, you know, last year's draft, when you a lot of times, too, I think guys sort of look at what are the first five kind of prospects, you know, and you get into that kind of game. And it's interesting because I think different years, opinions get formed when in actuality, like, you know, the year, I want to say it was 2017 when like everybody was putting Lonzo Ball and Markel Fultz and like, you know, they're good. And they were talking about that year's draft and they're putting him on a plane. Like I was like, I'm not even a fan of Lonzo Ball and Markel Fultz. Like you go back and look, I mean, you know, I got the receipts. Um, the, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm Jason Tatum should be the top pick in this draft. I knew Donovan Mitchell went see him work out. And I was like, he should be in that discussion for one of the top picks. You're talking about a superstar also there. Guys like, you know, Lowry Markin and Jonathan Isaac, I knew you would be difference makers in, in time. So like, um, you know, John Collins, I think was, we saw was your Giannis tweets. There you go. Giannis. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, of course. I mean, sometimes you have to but listen, I think it's huge to take a stand and go against what the general public thinks a lot of times, but my, but the point that I'm getting at is not to, as I've been criticized for, you know, patting myself on the back, but the point is ultimately that, with a lot of these this time, the consensus sort of forms. I'm glad you guys asked the question because the consensus sort of forms and people will just look at the top few picks and go like, I know those names. So mm -hmm. it's a strong draft or it's a weak draft. Whereas I look at it like, all right, first of all, how many tier one guys do you have? Last year, I didn't know if there, if we'd be looking at them. And and like my favorite player in last year's draft was Sadiq Bey. And, and, you know, I thought LaMelo would be really good. I didn't know he'd be allowed to do what he was able to do. 
obviously Lamelo, not only a tier one guy, but you're talking about generational now. Like his, like what his ceiling could be is just bananas. And I had also I'd heard that coming out, and I didn't know if I I believed it. And I'm you know that was my assessment. And now it's like okay, I see it now. Like and I had everyone I was talking to told me the same thing. Don actually worked out Lamelo the year before, um, when he was still in high school. He came over and had had uh, worked out some, and he was like beating um, Casey Akpala, who ended up, you know, mm-hmm. being uh, was supposed to be a first round pick, ended up falling to the second round. Uh, you know, he's with the Miami Heat, but like he was a stud at, at Stanford. His potential was great, and like you know, he's taken it to KZ, you know, like just in a little in limited time, like just playing against each other. So I knew the Lamelo potential. Uh, was there from you know guys like Don and then this guy that I know Matt Walsh who was a star at Florida. Matt now owns um, the Breakers. He's part owner of the NC Breakers. Exactly. Yeah. Good knowledge there. So <laughs> Matt's Matt's a friend of mine. And he um so Matt had told me I talked to Matt about Lamelo and he's like, dude, he's he's a real deal. Like he is legit. And so again, when you're hearing from people that you trust, and I still was like, okay, I see it, but is he going to be able to do that at that level? And then Coach yeah. Nick of B-ball breakdown. I don't know if you know guys know Coach Nick, but He'd be a great guy to have on, but he, but coach Nick was the same way. Like he's like, man, looking at the tape, like I love Lamella. So, so people I trust were, were telling me, but the point is in general, like, I just didn't feel like there were many like tier one guys, like in last year's draft. And then you start to get into the, okay, how deep is the draft now starts to become the question of, all right, how many other guys can be sort of impact players? Mm-hmm. There are other guys you can like or whatever, but that was the thing this year's draft. It's like, Wow. First of all, I think there's a few guys that tier one you're talking about that could really be multiple time all stars that that like stand out right away. And then beyond that, you start to get into other names where you're like, well, if things break right for these guys, they're also going to be great at the next level. And so, you know, I got a chance to see uh, Keon Johnson and and Davion Mitchell work out when I went to the to the workouts uh, that Don had this year. <clears throat> I love Scotty Barnes, obviously. I mean, you mentioned Kamingo, which, you know, jury's out. Some people feel like the guy never passes and other people feel like it doesn't matter. He's an elite, elite scorer. I mean, you just go down the list and then, and then other guys, even like Zaire Williams, who didn't have the, the freshman year, I think a lot of people expected, but you know what kind of potential he has also seeing what he did out of high school. So I think you go across the board and say like, man, th- th- this draft could be really surprising. And, ter- and then not to mention like some of the standout college guys that, um, Desumu and, and guys like that, that um, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, that like really could end up being outstanding players at the next level that you you could get later in this draft. So I I love this draft. Um, certain years I like it when other people don't, and I, I fall in love with a lot of the kids anyway. But I would say that for this year's draft, I think a lot of guys at the top, and then and then a lot of depth in terms of you know when you go second tier and, and guys that could really benefit teams down the road. So we're massive Hornets fans. Who do mm. you see our sweet sweet Hornets drafting? we were and so we have to agree that they're sweet sweet hornets yes well they didn't screw up lamella we we thought they were going to screw up that pick and not take him well who do you guys want them to take let's let's start there has frank kaminsky had a kid yet (laughs) (laughs) Uh, is there another zeller (laughs) no vonley are you there uh no i like Corey kispert and kai jones for us Mm -hmm. i've heard a lot of i would love kai jones and I wouldn't mind Corey Kispert either, but I've seen a lot of mock drafts saying Franz Wagner. And I just, I don't know if I'm sold on that or not. That scares me. That yeah. scares me. I'm not, listen, I think Franz Wagner down the road could be like a serviceable player. I, I don't get the the hype for him. I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I've heard different things. People, why they love him. 
like I get like he moves well and all that kind of stuff, but you you see guys like that quite a bit. I We've don't, been down this road as a Hornets fan. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, and, it, and listen, exactly, exactly. And it, he feels like a Hornets draft pick, doesn't he? I mean, kind of like no offense to you guys. I'm saying like hopefully we're we're seeing. Uh, no, we you know, know. We know. Regime change here, but um, no. I mean, I to me, it's about like you know who goes in that in that territory. So I I sort of look and say. Yeah, obviously Kai Jones, if he's if he's there, um, could be could be awesome for you guys and and, and an exciting pick for sure. Um, and no question about it. And like instantly you start saying, like, who can play with who could play with LaMelo and stuff? I mean, you know, Davion Mitchell, who I who I, I've already said I, I said on Chad Ford's podcast and it picked up steam because I don't think people had, had heard it as much before that is that the Warriors love him. So that's a, a big deal right now. And um I know that the Warriors uh, absolutely love uh, Davion Mitchell, and so I'd be surprised if he even slips past seven for the Warriors. And maybe that, maybe you know, there's a disagreement among among people within the organization, and maybe that that happens. Certain people overrule others, and you know, so or or they go back and make a, a different assessment. But assuming like Davion Mitchell were to slip to you guys, I mean, just what he brings to the table, you know, defensively, and then to think, I'm always interested in like backcourt combinations which could be really interesting now i know you guys are also in a unique position because you actually are you do have some depth in the backcourt and all that kind of thing so it's like do we need you know another guard back there having a shooter and Corey kisper playing alongside a lamella ball knowing that when you have a great player that attracts so much attention and lamella's got that vision it'd be so awesome to have a guy like that so i almost wonder i wonder if that's too high for Corey kisper if you get that value later but when you have that kind of shooter um, and he's he's special as a shooter, plus has great size and strength and, and really knows how to play. Um, you know, uh, he's already he's a ready made pro coming in. Um, you know, if Keon Johnson were to were to slip another guy that defensively is going to get after it right away, I'd be excited about. I mean, there's a there's a handful of guys even. Um, you know, the thought of Zaire Williams, like with him hitting his uh, his peak, if, if that was a pick, I'd be excited for you guys. So basically what I'm saying, I think is um anybody but Franz Wagner. Um, I'm excited about it if I'm a Hornets well, just, that's, We've that's always been drafting big men. Like, obviously, that's our, that's our area of need right now, I think. And I know. I, I The thing is that, I mean, that's why, I mean, obviously, Kai Jones makes sense. But I also think in a draft like this, the question is, if you have a chance to get a really talented kid, mm-hmm. why not start building your foundation? You've already established your – LaMelo is your identity right now. Yeah. You know, and so I think it starts, I think it, everything starts and ends with, with that. And so to me, um, when you can start to collect core pieces, I, I think that's sort of the way you look. I mean, a couple of years ago, the Hornets were in such bad shape because they had all these bad contracts. There was really no way to get out of it. I felt like, you know, there was just a lot, not a lot of leadership from the front office, clearly. And we saw that with like draft picks where they were just sort of guessing or doomed no to clear vision. What's doomed that? to mediocrity. That's doomed the word to mediocrity. Yeah, doomed to mediocrity. And I, and I, and, and that, and that happens. And, and the thing is, like, I always say it's an executives league. Like it's a, everyone talks about it being a player's league, but I look at it the other way that like great executives get you out of bad cap situations. They, they clear cap space. Um, they make decisions a year or two before the fans are on board with the decision, right? Like, you, you know, and so the same guys have success over and over again. So whether it's, you know, obviously the Spurs are, are trying to get back up there, but like you think about, R.C. Buford with the Spurs or what Sam Presti's done with Oklahoma City or 
Um, you know, Daryl Morey goes from Houston and then goes to Philly and makes some, some major changes there. What Danny Age had done, you know, in Boston and, and, and the moves that I talk about are different, like, you know, in Boston, when like Isaiah Thomas is, you know, this darling of the city, but he's injured and all that, you know, he turns an Isaiah Thomas into a Kyrie Irving, which, you know, I mean, you can make the determination about how that sort of went. But again, Jason Tatum, mm-hmm. he loves Jason Tatum. So what does he do? You know, ends up trading with the Sixers and Sixers get Markel Fultz and, and six and the Celtics get Tatum at three plus get assets. You know, it's like yeah. or Avery Bradley, they trade a year before. Uh, he's due to make a lot of money, you know? And, and so having that vision and foresight puts you in great position. And so I think I, I say all that to say with the horn, it's like, I look at it like you have Lamella ball and um, you know, you, you uh, Devonte Graham and then like um, um, Rogier. So, you know, Rogier's there. I, I just, I, I think that you have some, some young core pieces that are, that are exciting. And to me, like, if you, I would take, I still believe you're high enough in the draft that you take a guy that you feel is like the most talented guy, if you can get him on the floor. Yeah. Um, and then, and then it's not just a question of figuring out for now. I'm looking at next year, two years from now with like, what am I building long-term around LaMelo? Like I'm not, I'm not winning a championship next year. So it's like, you know, I don't feel necessarily have to draft Wait, for need. I know it's <laughs> offensive to both of you guys, and I'm sorry for that. But uh, but I, that's a, that's like this where everyone gets hurt. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It was yeah, yeah, Suns and the Bucks. I mean, it's it's uh, that's I that's how I sort of approach it. If I'm if I'm in the front office, my my approach is I'm taking the kid that's the best player that I can get on the floor, not necessarily best player that's also positional need, which I think is a different way to to also look at it. And I think you're high enough in a draft like this where you can still get that. So um, yes, obviously Kisper would be great. And Kai Jones maybe fits the best for you, but I'd want to see, all right, does that make the most sense long-term? I mean, if I get one of those other guys we're discussing that sort of slips, does it make sense though, if I could have a guy like what I think Keon Johnson could be in two years, because I think about what he could be alongside LaMelo. And then you, you start to think of the other pieces that are there that are you have some exciting pieces in charlotte it's just i don't know that those pieces all fit so moves have to be made anyway and so i look at it like wait i don't know this is the team in five years who are they going to be the best guys alongside Lamelo in five years that's how i sort of look at who's your biggest sleeper i mean everybody's talking about you know bones island right now um i gotta give my guy combo does a podcast combos court he's been hyping up bones forever um so he's been talking about him and every everybody he talked to about the draft for the last like few months, he's like, oh, what do you think of uh, Bones Highland? And everybody's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, it could be a good second round pick if he's in this year's draft, maybe makes sense. And now all of a sudden we see what happens at, you know, the combine. He's that kid's got tons of buzz. And now we're seeing him just up, move up, 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 up. So that's been, you know, huge. Um, I, you know, if you call, you know, I don't know that I, um, Again, calls Iyer Williams a sleeper, especially because of the attention that he's had. I would say, um, you know, two guys that I think, well, I'll give you a few. So let's say Sharif Cooper from Auburn, okay. um, extremely productive, obviously didn't get a chance to start the year. And uh, I love his handle, love his work ethic. Uh, I think he's just going to make teams better. You know, he could be a kid that gets an opportunity and, and really explodes. So if you're talking about 
a guy like that who had been talking about like first round love for a while. Obviously, he's undersized. Obviously, there's question marks there, but you see some of the success uh, for guards that dominate. I mean, you know, you look around the league. One of the things I've looked at is like for the lead guards, did they have a chance at the college level to really have a ball, the ball in their hands and really just go out and do everything and dominate? So, you know, um, and, and look, it, no matter where you play, it's something about like reading a defense and also working through double teams. And, and when you get the attention of every other team's best defensive effort, think about the guys in the league. Steph Curry did it at Davidson. Dame Lillard, obviously, we were state. You have, um, uh, um, uh, why am I drawing a blank on some, on some others who have had major success? But doing, oh, Trey Young, great example, you know. Again, so you look at Trey, and again, not, not saying that guys have to come from mid-majors, but, mm-hmm. you know, and even C.J. McCollum playing. You whoa, know, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't talk about C.J. McCollum on this podcast. So oh, yeah. I love C.J. McCollum Lehigh. Oh, I was go. at that Lehigh game as a Duke fan. That was brutal. Yeah, no no offense. No offense. <laughs> and I, listen, am I allowed to talk about Eric Maynard? Is that is that uh, possible either? I, I'm just asking. <laughs> listen, listen. I, I uh, There are a lot of, of – I, I want to come to – Cameron, I want to catch a game. I love Duke too. I, I quietly love Duke too. So I, I have to say um, the um, no, I, I will say this, that, um, but, I, but that's the thing with Sharif Cooper. I would say that I would point out um, Isaiah Jackson, if he can figure it out athletically is, is a freak show. So he could be a guy that, that down the road could be one of those guys that, that, uh, that blows people away. Um, and then uh, let me give you one and let me just throw out here for, for fun um i don't know uh let's see let's see matt hurt no <laughs> uh, <laughs> i do not you know you know who's a guy i um i like is uh and it'll be interesting to see where he goes but charles bassey from western kentucky would be another another interesting name i mean his game doesn't really fit the modern nba so there's that but I think he could be one of those guys that really impresses. He's got good hands. He knows how to seal his man. He rebounds mm-hmm. well. There's a lot about Charles. Bat- He's dealt with some injury issues and stuff. I'm rooting for him to make it as a guy that that, at that level of prospect goes to Western Kentucky. I, I root for kids like that. So, And he's had a difficult journey there. So um, he'd okay. be another guy that I'd, I'd put on that, that category. Well, so we mentioned Jalen Green and Kuminga from the G League Ignite. I've seen a lot of high school highlights of Isaiah Todd, and I watched him play a little bit. He's like French first round from what I've seen. What do you think about Isaiah Todd? Do you think he's going to pan out to be a good player? Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm not huge on Isaiah Todd. I know a lot of people, a lot of people like him. The thing is, like, I think this experience, you know, serves him well. He's got the long wingspan. He's got the length. Um, I just, you know. I, I don't know that there's anything that I love that he particularly does, um, you know, a great. I, I know that he, he could potentially be a guy that has length and could shoot it from the outside, you know. And so you 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 say, all right, he maybe that's what he is at the next level. I don't know that that we see that. So we might see him as a, as a specialist and he sticks on a roster. So he right. could be a good rotational guy in that in that role that comes in. I mean, you think about like the impact Bobby Portis is having in these in these playoffs, for instance, not making that same comparison, but just saying that, like, I mean, I guess I am, but I, I think the point isn't that he's Bobby Portis. The point is that that's the kind of role that maybe he could play at the next level. Mm-hmm. Well, well um, we did want to ask, obviously, like we said, Carolina and Duke fans, 
So mm. there's a couple names we wanted to ask you about. The first one I want to say is Dayron Sharp because I've seen him fringe first round. I'd love for him to go first round, late first round. So I was wondering what you think about him. Um, Dayron Sharp actually was working out the same workout that um, <clears throat> that <clears throat> excuse me that I was at um, down in uh, in Southern California with he's he's been working out with those other guys that crew that i was mentioning so keon johnson davion mitchell the when i went down he was not he was not working out with them um when i uh when i when i went down there but um you know his has shed weight so that was a big deal for him um i think has some i think has some potential uh, at the next level and and they're excited about him um you know about about what he could become and his work ethic has been great thus far and so um you know again the 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 league is sort of in a different place now uh you know than it was in the past so you have to sort of gauge that but you know his ability to step outside that thing in workouts that he's he's shown his ability that that as an outside shooter and if that if that comes along then could be a guy that makes a, a difference on the next level again it's it's weird because you you get into a lot of these guys where situationally if they're in the right spot um, could be huge. And, and the other thing is, and I, I've explained this to people and, and actually Chad Ford and I talked about this on his podcast that you have superstars, but if a guy's not a superstar on your team, what role does he play as a specialist? You know, in college, you can do multiple things and be rewarded as such, you know, Oh, this guy's good at a lot of different things, or he's a pretty good score, but he's also good, you know, at, at other things. And they need that at the college level. And you sort of fit into a system, whether it's defensively, offensively, what have you. But in the NBA, like, are are you an outstanding backup lead guard? Are you an outstanding, you know, shooter to bring in? Because the thing is, like, if you're a pretty good shooter and you're, um, a pr- you know, a guy who could potentially bring the ball up the floor and you're an okay rebounder, like, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily need that in the league. Like, it's it's funny that so there, there's been a big well, actually, there's a, a new trend coming, but like. So you have all these specialists that come in because it's like, oh, I want a three and D guy that I can bring in because you can get one of the best shooters in the world who also defends. So if the guy does nothing else, like at least you have that. The funny thing is, and we're sort of seeing that, you know, in these playoffs is that you still do need some role players that, that know how to play the game, though. You know, like they may not be the absolute best shooters, but these guys can come in and, and know how to score, know how to impact games. They might not be the best at any one thing, but the trend is sort of flipping because the league has gone with specialists for so long that now guys that just know how to play also have an advantage too. So, um, so it's tough to gauge, but I think we're looking at, I mean, we could potentially, I think we're looking at a guy again that rotationally could be a solid player and and has the potential to be pretty good, but I don't, it's not like I'm looking at Daron Sharp as like, he's going to be a a superstar at, at the next level or anything like that. You said they're transitioning away from specialists in the league. I think that contributes more to like positionless basketball and a lot of a lot more small ball. Do you think that kind of plays into it? Like the the new way the game's played now, more threes, uh, faster pace. Yeah. Well, the thing is, everybody's got to shoot, so you start there, and so I think that plays a role. I think what's interesting is positionless basketballs and, and teams really. What I think a lot of people mean by that is like teams are going so much smaller now. But mm-hmm. but I say that, but. I, I'm in I'm in sort of disagreement in the general consensus that like that that's the best way to play because I also look at it like I think you need a strong 
I think you need a strong lead guard. And the difference that that somebody as your as your leader and coach on the floor, it doesn't necessarily have to be classic point guard in the same sense of the word. But I think the Suns are a great example of that. You look at what Chris Paul brings to the table and the advantage that the Suns have when he just, again, calms everything down, um, controls the game at his they, – they play at the pace he wants to play. They get into their offensive sets, all that kind of stuff. So – you know, there's a lot of talk like, oh, this guy can handle this guy can do this. I mean, you, you guys are going to be set with that with LaMelo being sort of the same way, like a guy that's going to be able to bring the ball up the floor. And he's now, listen, he does other things. So that's great. And so you can sort of look at him and say, well, what position is this guy, you know, in a way. But the biggest thing that you'll benefit from, can this guy bring the ball up the floor and get my team into sets and all that kind of stuff? And I think so you need a great lead guard. And I also think on the flip side, think about what like Joel Embiid has been able to do because so many other teams aren't used to guarding bigs and, and other teams are playing small. Like I, everybody wants centers now that can switch on defense, rim run, you know, Clint Capella's of the world, but here's the problem. You have Clint Capella or even, you know, John Collins can be a new age five kind of thing. And I love John Collins, but he, you know, he's athletic. He's, he's versatile. He steps outside, shoots 15 footers. Um, you know, attacks the room with a vengeance, you know, all these things, but like rebounds well. But the, the problem is that what happens when a big comes in that somebody wants to establish? Now, you may not see post-ups because they don't run that kind of offense much anymore. But when you do get a big that just posts up on occasion, I mean, you can think about how a guy like that could now come back to dominate. So I do think that we've had this cycle for a while of positionless basketball, which I think a lot of people just mean they play smaller and that their bigs, you know, handle the ball and they're a little bit smaller. And, and they go with these small lineups, but not everybody has a Draymond Green that can be a guy that can bring the ball. Up the, nobody has that, basically, who can bring the ball up the floor and also guard opposing bigs. And so you want to look, I think more than anything, it's almost like positionless defenders, if you will. If you can guard multiple positions on the defensive end, that changes what you can do offensively, because now you can put four out, five out shooters and stuff and just wreak havoc on other teams' defense um, and force guys like um, – Frank Kaminsky to go have to, uh, you know, getting if that's when teams start, you know, hunting for him in the pick and roll and all. Yeah. But if you have if you have a five man that can that can switch on defense, you're great. But now the question, you know, but the other thing I'll say is like it's weird because this year we saw, um, you know, a lot of people ask about Luca Garza and and guys like um, Drew Timmy and stuff and what he's those guys are going to do at the NBA level. And the one thing I say is if a team in a block like you. Sorry about that. Uh, Drew Timmy, like you, what Drew team, Timmy was eating guys alive in the post because nobody develops post defenders anymore, you know? And yeah. so that to me is interesting. And then Luca Garza, same thing. So I think we may end up seeing a shift. Not going to see it this year or next year, maybe. But I think over time, I think with some of these skilled bigs, I think, I think guys are going to start to learn how to score in the post better. And I think we're going to start to see a shift back where you start to see – why wouldn't I take advantage when I'm playing a team like the Hawks? Why wouldn't I throw a guy in the post, mm -hmm. get the ball down to him and just get easy buckets and cause them to get into foul trouble? You know, I mean, even Giannis in a way, I think I almost think of as like the best center in the league. I mean, look, look at what Giannis is doing when he's getting into the paint. Like that's when he's causing his damage and stuff. And so really, yeah, maybe he does it from the perimeter sometimes. And when he's going downhill, but when Giannis can get himself and you even look in this in this finals, like a lot of it is. Giannis isn't going ISO because that's when they can bring the help. He gives the ball up. Now he gets yeah. it back when he's almost in the post. Like he's acting almost as a center in these that's games. The so, man, yeah. 
Yeah. So I, so I think in a way we may start to see some of that where these bigs now take on an expanded role and maybe it shifts back to how it was, you know, years ago, ne- never the same with that slow down offense and just, you know, this prodding thing. I mean, obviously you're going to see a lot of still switching defensively, pick and roll game. You need to be able to rim run and all that. But I also think we're going to see more post-ups or at least reposts, if you will, in mm-hmm. the mid post, I think you're going to see more of that in the league. So you mentioned guys getting attacked on pick and rolls. I think uh, the worst person to defend a pick and roll in this draft is Matt Hurd. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, do you like any Duke guys? No, I mean, listen, Matt Hurd, obviously, as a specialist, you have a guy mm-hmm. with that kind of length who could shoot it. Um, you know, uh, I think that I think there there is going to be room for guys like the NBA is always going to love a guy like that and and likely find a way to get him in. I mean, I um you know, the Jalen Johnson thing is interesting because um, I will say, you know, talking to people who, you know, talking to people who know people inside the program say that. And I, I've tried to make this 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 stance from what I understand, like he really was from the people that I've talked to, like he really was struggling emotionally. And I and I think about how I mean, think about it like we had this one and done set up for for years where guys were just expected they're going to come into college do the one and done and go like we all were impacted by by covid and the social anxiety that that the strain the pandemic put on on everyone and so you know i have four children myself and i saw the impact that it had on my two older girls and you know stuff not being the same and and stuff not meeting expectations they're in high school and it just wasn't the high school experience and they feel like they were missing out on things and i think about the guy the one and done guys and look no one's going to feel bad for guys that are superstar high school prospects that go to college for a few months, you know, and then get to play at these elite schools and then get to be high draft picks and make millions of dollars. No one's feeling bad for them, but they're still people. And I think that what happened in a lot of these cases was the experience wasn't the same in terms of going. And now all of a sudden you go and experience these huge crowds and you go and experience the college life and I'm going to parties and drinking. And, and I know, you know, I, I know, um, a friend of mine has a, has a son that was a walk-on at a D1 school, not a, not a great program, um, but, but a D1 school. And like just the walk-ons, how hard it was for them. You know, usually you get to walk around campus and everybody looks at you and goes, oh, that guy's on the basketball team and his buddies love it and goes to all the parties mm-hmm. and the girls love it. And mm-hmm. like, you know, that, to, to, to say that that's not a part of the college experience or that why guys are going would be so misleading. Yes, of course, I mean, you talked about the money. We, we know that happens. We know about the, the influence from from uh, people that, you know, that, that, that want to benefit from these kids and all this. But I look at a guy like a Jalen Johnson and think like, man, like he, he thought that he'd be going to Duke playing at, at Cameron in front of a, you know, great crowds being the man on campus. Everybody loves him, gets to learn from coach K all these things. And instead you're going to practice every day and you're just getting crushed by your coaches and all. I don't know if you guys have ever read um a season on the brink, but it's the book about Bobby Knight that John Feinstein wrote. It's a legendary book. And it literally, the biggest thing that the book talks about, I mean, it's a, it's a famous, famous book, but like they talk about, it's the year before Indiana won the, the national championship, but just like these kids are like going to practice every day and it's the, the winter time and it's dreary and it's bleak and yeah. it's just this long season. It's like, and so, yeah, they go out on game day and get the attention. And I'm sure they don't even talk too much about the partying stuff that they're doing. But it's like Bobby Knight is just killing these kids and all this. And, and so it's, 
it's not just about Bobby Knight as a person, but just about the experience of playing college basketball wintertime and all that, the depression that sets in. So I don't know Jalen Johnson personally, so I can't speak to that, but knowing people who know him have told me like he really was struggling this year. And so, you know, and everyone made a big deal and said he went to multiple high schools, all that. Well, a lot of kids do that kind of thing. And so Mm -hmm. this idea, like it wasn't fake that he was, he was really dealing with it from what I understand. And so I would just say, like, I'm rooting for the kid to be our, and then, and then, second of all, obviously, you want to see him have a good career, um, and and not flame out, and and hopefully he gets the help he needs emotionally. But I've seen the toll it takes on so many young people, and then you take away the college experience. <laughs> to me, it was no surprise then that Kentucky and Duke had their struggles this year. Everybody wants mm-hmm. to ask that question: What happened? It's like well, these guys are used to being one and dones, and they used to all the attention and all that kind of stuff. Now all of a sudden, you take away the college experience, you take away the fun, and like all they will now. I mean, before they're like, all right, well, cool, I'll go to Duke for five months i'll go to duke for six months you know go to a couple classes have some fun whatever and it's like you take that away from them and it's like why do i care and so yeah, when yeah. the apathy starts to set in and, and you could say that's a character issue for the kid or you could blame the coaching staff but i don't think anyone was was ready to deal with what we all had to deal with this year no and especially when duke struggles like that you're playing in an empty cameron the first game you watched in cameron it was so weird like how loud the weird. rim was it was oh, really yeah. odd and when you're at a program like Duke getting so highly scrutinized, going, going, having that awful record we had this year, it was a bad mix. And I'm not saying it's all Jalen Johnson's fault. I mean, I, simply, I just don't like him as a prospect that much. Uh, I, I, It's the shooting that bothers me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I listen, there's, of course, questions about it. And one thing I will say is that it's, it's so interesting because people ask all the time, like, I don't understand why – this kid wasn't drafted higher than that. Well, and I said, the first thing you have to look at is that NBA teams most, most importantly care about the number one statistic metric, very uh, measurable is age. That's the number mm-hmm. one thing. If you, if you tell a kid, like if you say, Oh, this kid's six, nine, a seven foot wingspan. And, um, and by the way, he's, you know, 14 years old. Like that's what appeals to like, that's what NBA teams like love. They salivate over the idea. And it makes sense because, on one level, it's like, all right, kid's 19 years old, then what's he going to be in three years? And that's and that was the argument this year for this past year's draft when it was um, Obi Toppin and James Wiseman. It's like Obi Toppin clearly had a well, James Wiseman played like three games, but but just the idea that Obi Toppin um, was dominant and did so many things well at Dayton, and it was like clear to see that he had outstanding athleticism and and obviously his. Um, his basketball IQ is really strong and he can pass the ball and he, he shot it well from three and all, all these things. But at the same time, Obi Toppin's 22 and James Wiseman's 19. So you say, all right, you're not just comparing the two. Now you're saying, what will James Wiseman be in three years? And so I say a lot of times these, these NBA guys, like they care about what's a player's ceiling. And so for a guy like Jalen Johnson or Zaire Williams, who you feel like, all right, they didn't perform at the level we expected them to their freshman year. The NBA guys are going off of, well, we saw them at EYBL or we saw them at the high school level at AU, what have you. And and we know what these guys are capable of if they're playing free and loose and and they're not restricted by a system. And they really, we can sort of see what their potential is. Uh, again, against other elite prospects, plus through USA Basketball, which has been huge and where a lot of these guys get to know these guys. So I say all of that to say that I think really what happens is you look at a guy like Jalen Johnson and, and you have questions. And of course, I do, too, about him as a prospect. And you start to say about the shooting and all that. A lot of it for the NBA guys comes down to, OK, 
but is he the same guy he was in high school? Because if I can get that version of Jalen Johnson, then this is why I'm going to take him with a top 15 pick. And whether that's right or wrong, I'm not, I'm not making that case. The mm-hmm. other thing I would say for people to let them know, and that I've been privy enough to sort of learn as I've, as I've gotten to know guys and, and deal in this for years, is that the other big trend that's changed and that I think is fascinating for a lot of people is the interview process. Like scouts and teams care so much about the character of guys and they want to know if guys are legit. And look, a superstar might get away with a few things, but if you're trying to make it as a starter, a rotational guy, that's not a superstar and certainly an end of the bench guy, you better be a guy that, that they believe in that you're going to put the work in that you're all about team because those things pay off and they might not be show up on, you know, of course people will use the cliche, like in a box score, but they want good team guys. They know that it's a long season that you're going to go through trials and tribulations. And especially we see what's happened the last couple of years and truncated schedule and injuries and all these, they want good guys and guys that work their asses off. And like at the NBA level, that, that is very important. So yeah, I think um, that's how these guys like Jalen Johnson sort of get evaluated differently than, than I think the older prospects do. Well, we don't want to keep you too long, but the last thing I'm fun guys, I don't care. Oh yes. <laughs> well, thank you. But the last thing I want I wanted to ask you personally is NBA draft guru Adam Stenko, give me two or three names that you have like been really high on in the past, past drafts, any year that have really panned out. Like what are your best takes or your uh, best predictions? Oh man. Um well we 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 hit on a couple of them. I one was Donovan Mitchell. Um, you know, got a chance to see Donovan Mitchell at uh as they were preparing him for his team workouts he has this famous workout with the jazz where he killed it and they basically the jazz people were like we're not telling anybody about this workout mm-hmm. they literally are oh, the front office guy i've talked to guys a friend of mine was in their front office he's left since but he like the story goes like he wasn't in the front office even actually at the time he got in there after but as the story goes basically we're like we are not talking about about this about this workout to, to anyone yeah. um but uh but no, I saw him and I, I just knew in his workouts, um, his ability to shoot the basketball, his work ethic. But the one thing I, I point out to people that's just wild was like he had this charisma that we're all seeing now. There's these leadership qualities that like you didn't really see at Louisville. They didn't have the chance to show that. I mean, he, play, he was playing with other talented guys and obviously playing for Patino and, and all this stuff. But I think more than it, all that, he had been a baseball player for a long time in the early part of his career and all. He's just a great kid. And I, and there was something about being in those workouts about how hard he worked and about like how the other guys gravitated towards him. Cause a lot of times they're in workouts, it's four five, six, seven, eight, nine guys. And you know, they're doing shooting drills or they're going two on two in a half court. And then they split the half court in half. Like you can only play on the left side of the court. Let's go to work. And it's like, you just see in this, um, in this enclosed setup, like how guys can operate in, in small spaces and stuff. And, and the thing that you saw was like, he roots on his teammates, but most guys do that. And it comes off like corny or forced. Mm-hmm. And he did it in a way that was like uplifting, like other people in the gym are like, Oh yeah, I, I want to work hard for this guy. And so I just knew he had something just absolutely special that just stood out. He was one, uh, Jason Tatum. I thought again, like should have been in the, the discussion for number one pick that, that, that year. Um, Giannis was another one that I had, had said, um, I mean, I have misses too. I don't like to talk. Yeah, about Yeah, what's your biggest miss? Um, Oof. big Anthony Bennett uh, guy. I thought. What's that? No, I wasn't a huge Anthony Bennett guy. I was. Uh, you know, I was a big. Um, 
I thought Jimmer Fredette would be would be much better oh, than, oh, than he was. Don't hurt me like that. I'm a huge <laughs> BYU fan. Yeah, no, I, I thought I thought Jimmer because the thing was I thought the league was trending that way, and I thought they were mm-hmm. allowing guards. I mean, look, we talked about it with um, um, with Lillard, and we saw with with Steph. Steph was another guy that I was like screaming from the rafters, like he's generational. Like he, that guy has to be has to be highly considered here with the draft. Another one that I, like, and, and I was screaming about it. I mean, if you guys, I don't know if you guys remember that draft, but the Timberwolves took two point yeah. guards ahead of him. Oh, Johnny, Johnny Rubio Flynn. and Johnny Flynn. <laughs> and, um, and also in one of those picks, they traded, I want to say Mike Miller and Randy Foy, maybe. So people always say all the time, like, well, Timberwolves, um, like the point, the point was anyone in the league, my point was not only did <clears throat> the Timberwolves like, I mean, botch that clearly, but, mm-hmm. but even, I mean, everybody was enamored with Ricky Rubio, <clears throat> excuse me, but even more so the rest of the teams in the league had the opportunity to go and get Steph Curry because that was the going price. Mike Miller and Randy, I think it was that maybe it was Alan Ray. I remember it was a Villanova guard, but mm-hmm. like, that was the going price to get into that. That draft was not highly thought of at the time. And there were a ton of point guards. Ty Lawson was in that draft and all. Oh yeah. Um, so, you know, and also uh, what was his name from Arizona who I could not stand as a prospect. Um, and I argued with people about it and all that. Uh, I think the Knicks took uh, nine uh, Jordan. Oh, what's, why am I drawing a blank? If you guys want to look it up, whatever Steph Curry's um, to us. Arizona, you said? Yeah. Why am I? Jordan Hill. Jordan Hill goes. So, again, I would argue with people that the Knicks should have gone up and got Steph Curry. Meanwhile, everybody's like, well, they didn't get him. I'm like, yeah, they could have. It was like the price was not that high. It was easy to trade up. Exactly. The price was not that high. Um, So, yeah, Steph was another one. I mean, um, Trey Young. Well, but again, I, I think that's, I mean, those, I mean, Trey is still, you're talking about a top 10 pick. Um, John you, Collins that was his guy that I was really high on. Um, are you high on Nikola Jokic too? This is insane. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, I did. I did. I, um, I did not, I did not have Nikola Jokic that, I mean, I didn't even you know. It's sort of like, <clears throat> okay. If he pans out, he pans out. I, I could never in a million years have seen what, what Joker was going to be, but you know, for me, it's it's interesting because a lot of it is situational, though. Like, like how would you guys rate Devontae Graham as a as a prospect, right? Like, like think about things in in those in that regard. Like, yeah, um, you know, obviously had his struggles this year, but you think about like last year and stuff what he was doing. And um, I saw Devontae Graham again. He was working at, at Don's workouts, and Devontae, I got the chance to watch him and and. Um, Grace and Allen work out for hours together against each other. And I'm thinking this is crazy. Like, you know, two of the best players in college basketball and, yeah. and here they are getting a chance to work out in this little gym. And it was, it was kind of funny to see it. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll say like, it's interesting. You Sometimes I feel like you can learn a lot from watching the tape and then other times the opinion sways sometimes in the wrong direction. Sometimes you have to go back and say, no, well, what did I see on tape? Like he's a great kid or, I like them, but what did I see on, on tape? So it gets kind of interesting, but, um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole process in general. It's always been something that I've, I've been uh, intrigued by. I, I, I was in, I was a teenager. I'll tell you this quick story, but I was in as a teenager and I used to read Street and Smith magazine. You didn't have a chance to even watch tape on these guys and you could learn about them and try to watch as many games as I could. And um, so I'm back in high school. So we're talking like, you know, uh, early nineties. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. Timberwolves were bad every year. I mean, even, even beyond what, what Hornets had been, you know, less, less, <laughs> year. I mean, talking just, just terrible franchise. Yeah. And, um, my dad had met a, um, an executive, um, with the, with the T wolves on a plane and keep in mind, I'm a high school kid, probably a little bit arrogant about, about things, but my dad was like, Oh, my, my son's really big into the draft. And the guy was nice enough. I look back now and think like, for a while, I thought about this. To, it was like making fun of the guy. Now I see this story and I'm like, well, that was nice of him. But the guy was like, yeah, we'll take input from anybody. Like if he wants to talk to us. Now, granted, at the time, think about it. Timberwolves are terrible. So they're drafting like at the top of the first round, top of the second round. Yeah. So they pretty much have an idea of who they're, they're taking. I'm not going to hit them with anybody crazy. But um, so the guy was nice enough to talk to me about about prospects. And that's probably what really made me made me feel like, oh, OK, I could learn some of this stuff. And uh, the guy like was asking me about players that I had in mind and I was mentioning guys and he didn't know. Them. And I was like stunned. And again, they, they were dropping at the top of their draft and all that stuff. And, mm-hmm. and for me, even at the time, like it wasn't that I, I knew a ton about these guys, but I've yeah. been reading about them and all that kind of stuff. But I was like, Oh, I'm stumping this, this guy that's an executive with the T wolves. And it wasn't so much. I mean, part of it told me that the organization was kind of inept if this guy didn't even know, <laughs> you know, here's this 15, 16 year old kid or whatever, like uh, giving him, him names. But I think the other part of it was just that, um, you know, it's, it's always been fun for me that it's something that you can do. Like you can go and look at guys and find them and say like, Oh, I really like this kid. I think he could be something, you know, Fred Van Vliet, for instance, like you can look at and go like, Oh, I think that guy can play at the next level, all this. And, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, goes undrafted and then, you know, ends up becoming a star at the, at the NBA level. And it's, and, and I, I think the the other big thing I would tell people about the draft process, though, also is like it's really hard to get a gauge on some of the things that really matter that determine ultimately how good guys will be. Like you can see what their potential is. And that's why I think it's so important to like scout the high school level and understand what their ceiling could be. And that's where you can see, all right, why do NBA teams think, think so highly of this guy? I didn't see it at the college. level. All right, well, go look at his high school tape. Oh, okay. He's capable of doing that. You know, it's like what guys did in the bubble, I always say, or in empty gyms or in practices like guy could be special at that level, but then they have to do it at the NBA level. But what, but what, what could he be if everything breaks? Right. And then the other thing is you just don't know a guy's work ethic mm-hmm. and what kind of person he is. And that makes a huge difference. Do guys want to play with him, you know, but does he push other guys and does he, does he bust his tail? And like, when you saw that from Donovan Mitchell, you're like, all right, maybe he's undersized, but this guy's going to be a star because he's got this crazy charisma and he's got this crazy work ethic. And that like, there's no way guys aren't going to enjoy playing with him. He's going to be a leader from day one. And then the shooting and all those other things, those will, those will come around. The next thing you know, he's breaking three-point records, you know, his rookie year and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. So, All right. So we'll end on this note. You say your proudest mm. moment is Chris Mullen praised you for a slip screen. Tell us about that. <laughs> so, I, so when I worked at ESPN, thank you for asking that too. Uh, when I worked at ESPN, um, I had the uh, – the opportunity to really get to meet, you know, a lot of heroes and, and things like that. And I have through the years and, and to become friends with some of these people is just, you know, mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Got to know Flip Saunders, you know, while, while I was there, Seth Greenberg, um, 
Jerry Rice, you know, just, just some other people that was, it was crazy experience, but um, you know, and any guys that you interview, I know you had Kevin Stewart on like talking about their ESPN days. We'll tell you mm-hmm. some random ESPN crazy stories. It really is like the sports center commercials, or at least was, I know before, before the pandemic. But um, so a buddy of mine was a, I used to play ball with all the time. This guy, Greg Pike, great player. Um, was actually a big high school prospect or a really good high school player in Florida. But um, uh, Piker, as we all called him, he's a producer. He used to produce inside the NBA and then at ESPN did a lot of NBA stuff still on the NBA project now. But Piker and I would play ball together and all this stuff. We're both big hoop heads and all. There's a bunch of leagues and, and, and there was leagues all the time at ESPN stuff that were a lot of fun and great players. But uh, so anyway, one day he I'm, I'm at home. And so, uh, and he just calls me and says, Hey, uh, you got to come to LA fitness. Um, John Barry and Chris Mullen want to get <laughs> a game of two on two. in." so I'm like, no I, am, I am there. And so as quick as I possibly, I mean, keep in mind, I mean, I'm older than you guys, obviously. And so for me, like Chris Mullen's like, not just like St. John's legend, but then like him with the Warriors. And I saw him play at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks when he was like in his heyday. It's run TMC and it's yeah. you know, him, Tim Hardaway, Mitch Richmond. And then, and then like, uh, and also, I mean, just, I mean, you know, place for the Pacers and Larry Bird's there. Like, I mean, just at dream team, like it, it, this is dream team or Chris Mullen, like one of the greatest players ever. Like I, I got a hall of famer, all this. So, I could not get there quick enough. So we ended up playing two on two at an LA fitness. I there put it this way. There are guys on the other side of the court. I don't think they even realized that like who like it was. was. They just saw like four older guys playing, <laughs> playing ball and stuff, just playing. Although they definitely recognized real quick when they saw that John Barry and Chris Mullen did not miss. And, and like I said, my buddy Piker is a really good player too. He's like a mini Mullen. Actually, he's a lefty. He's about six one just shoots it like slow moving, but gets to his spots and like does not miss as a lefty and a uh, really good passer. So, yeah, so we were playing the game and um, I was playing with Chris Mullen and I go to set a screen um, on John Barry. And then I just slipped it instead of holding the screen still. And then Chris Mullen throws me one of his like legendary, you know, passes and I finish and he's like, Oh, look at this slips the screen. This kid yeah. knows how to play. And I was like, okay, like you could have just killed me then. Cause I was like, yeah, there's nothing like, better in my entire life. Like it's better than the day I got married or had kids, you know, I'm like, <laughs> no, just play it. I'm playing. But uh, no, he, it was, it was an amazing experience. So yeah, I felt very lucky to, uh, to get the chance to play with him. So, and by the way, as a, I got to know Jay Williams through my time, you're, you're a Duke fan. Mm-hmm. And so um, yeah, Jay's a friend of mine now. Like even that experience, like was crazy. Like watching Jay as somebody like I, I admired and was a fan of, and then getting to know Jay, who's a really, really good guy. And uh, and then even you know, I had a chance to play with Jay one time, <clears throat> maybe a couple times, but one one time for sure. I stole the ball for, from him. And now, granted, he's you know hobbled and and mm-hmm. still dealing. I mean, still in unbelievable shape though. I stole the ball, gave him a hard time, all that kind oh, of yeah, stuff. You have to. Yeah. You know, How would you describe your pickup game? Um, listen, I, I am, I'm going to overinflate. It's the thing I'm, I'm probably most, well, and now, I mean, it's, it's toast. I mean, my knees are terrible <laughs> and I'm 45 years old and I never get sleep because of the kids, but, um, no, I, I'm, um, you know, I, I could shoot it. I like to describe myself as a really good passer and, uh, you know, I can handle, I'm a lead guard that 
people like playing with. So uh, yeah. the guys at ESPN would make fun because I, I'm, I, I'm known for like all no look passes. Like I love fancy passes. I love, you know, that route. So, you know, the guys that pass really well always excite me way more than they, sh- you know, the Lamella balls of the world. Um, so you're a tier but- one. <laughs> You said it. You said it. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. I. It's funny because I did. Uh, I, I, if I say that stuff, then then I'll get crushed from guys that can and really play. I. It's the thing that I love most. Like honestly, if you told me I anything career wise, whatever. If I, I give it all up tomorrow to get you know just a plan a chance to play tomorrow, like at Cameron, you know, mm-hmm. like oh, in yeah. a in a Duke Virginia game or something. Like I would give it all. Like there is nothing in the world I love more than. Everybody knows I'm married to basketball. It's my my first love, and um, yeah, I just I, I absolutely love it. And I worked really hard at it when I was when I was younger, all that. But um, you know, I, I care about it. So the guys that work their their asses off, and the guys that that uh, are passionate, I think that stands out. I also think those become the best players. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's how I'd probably describe my pickup game. Is that I'm, I'm I was pretty good, I guess. I I was I was okay. I was okay. Let's call it that. You haven't made it in pickup basketball until you've played at a Mormon church. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're big Mormon church players. <laughs> I, you know, I, I have done that. I have done that. So, oh, there you uh, go. Yeah. <laughs> I've played it. I've played pickup just about everywhere. So, yeah. And uh, throughout my life, I've, I've gotten, you know, I've played with the guys that show up, you know, with like, um, you know, wearing like uh, jeans that just come right off the street in mm-hmm. the city game. You know what I mean? Like no shirt. Nobody wants to touch the guy. That kind Big of elbows thing. coming. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Guys that don't know how to play whatsoever. I've played pickup with, you know, a lot of guys that don't know how to play a lot of guys that do. Um, yeah. So I've, I've definitely played pickup with just about everywhere at, at every, every venue. And uh, that's cool that you guys have, have played some. So, I mean, it, listen, fundamentally sound. Yeah. fundamentally sound yeah. the mormon church guys you know yeah, they'll get mad if you're not if you're not taking care of your fundamentals either or if you're not mm-hmm. passing the ball right yep but everybody's jimmer everybody's jimmer yeah that's what so. it's turning into so yeah but all right well hey adam <laughs> this was so fun thank you so much for your time uh go fall adam at Naismith lives i don't know where that came from but mm. yeah i i had a, had a website at one point in time, that was a basketball website, and I called it. Yeah, I mean, James Naismith invented the yeah. game. You got to yeah. hey, lives, lives, lives on in infamy, so or lives on forever in in memory. I, guys, I just want to say thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. I get to do a luckily a, a bunch of these kinds of things, and you guys are really good at what you do. So thank you, guys. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Adam. Hey, thank you. Take care, man. All right, thanks. Thanks for listening to our interview with VP of 247 Sports and NBA draft expert Adam Stanko. I hope y'all enjoyed that one as much as Connor and I did. Make sure to go follow Adam on Twitter at NaismithLives and check out all of his stuff. Adam is a great dude. I want to thank him for his time again. So go make sure to follow my Twitter page at CarterBA and Connor's at Connor underscore Sparrow. We will soon have all these on video. It'll be on our YouTube page, so stay posted. And we'll see you all next week. Bye.